Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 to 18. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So, when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honoured by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your father, who is unseen. Then your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. When you fast, do not look sombre as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Good morning again. We are working our way through... Uh, what is often called the Sermon on the Mount. It's words from Jesus when he spoke to numerous people when they come, some very religious people from Jerusalem, but also some people from the outskirts of society have come to hear what Jesus has to say. And it speaks to a lot of us, no matter where we are, whatever stages of life. So I'm going to pray now that God will speak to us through his word, through his Holy Spirit now. Let's pray. Dear Father, we do thank you for your love for us, that you reach out for us. And you want us to come to you to listen. Lord, here we are this morning in the quietness, wanting to hear from you, to know you better, to know how to live for you, to know and understand who we are as your children and to know you better. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We saw this week, uh, if you're watching the media at all, the lengths that some people will go to to protect their identity. You know, when your identity is questioned and threatened, the lengths that you will go to to defend that, to protect yourself and to protect who you are. See, it was my cousin, actually, Rebel Wilson, who went to court this week. You didn't realise Rebel Wilson was my cousin, did you? Through marriage, really, on Walt Disney's side of the family, that we are kind of... I'm glad somebody got that. That was good. (coughs) But Rebel Wilson... uh, was accused of making up stories and making up lies to promote herself in Hollywood. That she would do that to to get more jobs, more work. But then when it was questioned, her character was questioned, her identity was questioned, and going, you know, she's she's a liar. 
She doesn't tell the truth. She's not who she says she is. She was losing all this work, the contracts, the acting. So she had to go to court to defend herself. And a bit inside of me wonders, you know, what would I do if my character was attacked like that? My identity was questioned. People were wondering, who is the real person? And trying to defend myself, would I go to the same lengths? And you know what? Something inside of me says, yeah, my identity is important to me. You know, I mightn't be a big aiming for Hollywood stardom, but there's something about your identity does give you a sense of who you are. It's your character. And it's not only who you think you are, but what other people think you are or say you are is important because it affirms you as a person and as a character. So she goes to this great lengths, but for even for us, it's important to have, you know, this is who I am. You know, for me... I want to be known as, you know, I'm pastor of a church, but I want to be known as a good pastor of a church. Whether you, whatever job you're working, you don't want to be known as, say, an engineer, you want to be known as a good engineer. Not just a parent, but a good parent. That's your identity, you want to protect that because that's who you are and you like to have it affirmed by other people that this is who you are. And we hunger for that affirmation. And we also like that recognition from other people, that they see it in you. And they acknowledge that. And this is where we long for other people's approval in, in saying, this is who you are. This is who we can see that, that God made you to be. And this is who you are. We long for that approval. There's a lot of people ready to cut us down, but we like seek the approval. It was the same in Jesus' day 2,000 years ago. See, people were seeking approval to affirm who they were, their character, their identity, uh, through things like religion. You've got to think, Jesus was talking to a very Jewish culture, very religious culture, and if you want to be known for being good at something, have an identity in something, actually as what we might call a Christian or somebody who follows God, that's kind of a good thing to be affirmed, isn't it? But these people were going way too far. So Jesus says, we pick it up in chapter 6, verse 1. He says, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them doesn't say don't do acts of righteousness, don't do things that God likes, but don't do it in public, don't do it as a performance, don't make it a show. In fact, it's very interesting the words used here, so this was written in Greek, Greek was the language of the day 2,000 years ago where this was written. Um, there's a number of different words that could, you could use to, to express to be seen or to watch something. And the word here, I mentioned last week, my highest score of 50.5% in my Greek when I went through college. I'm here to assure you that uh, I really did learn something through that time. But the word that Jesus used, or at least Matthew records that Jesus uses, there's a number of words he could have used to be seen. He actually uses this word, theaomai. Uh, theaomai. And you go, okay, big deal. Uh, the root word being thea. It's actually the word we get theatre from. Jesus saying, don't be put on a theatre. Don't be on the front stage for people. Don't, don't, because you've got to think Roman Empire, they've got the big amphitheatre. Theatre was quite big in those days. He's saying, don't put on the performance for act of people, for your acts of righteousness. Other areas, he uses different words, but here he's introducing this whole theme of, you know, are you performing for others? Is the question he's asking. And he gives us three examples. What about when you're giving? Pick it up in verse 2. <clears throat> A little bit of context here helps us to work out what he's talking in this situation. Uh, we've got to think Roman Empire, but it's a very Jewish culture. And the Romans 
had no social welfare system. If you're poor or needy, don't worry about going to see the Romans. They're not going to help you out. But the Jews had a system through the temple. They've been doing it for hundreds of years. The temple was a social welfare system. Uh, and this time the temple had broken down a little bit, so they had synagogues around, like little churches scattered around each town. The synagogues practiced the social welfare system. So what people would do is come along on their Sabbath day and they would contribute to the work uh, of the temple there or the synagogue there. People would give uh, generously and regularly to that work. But sometimes there were special needs, say, a building burns down, 600 people are homeless. There's a special need there that's too big for the synagogue. So what they would do when there's special needs is blow the trumpet for the town to hear. And that was a signal, something's going on, get to your synagogue, uh, and it's usually to do with the, the welfare system. We need you to bring some money to help us out, to help these poor and needy people. And the synagogue would also send people out into the streets with their buckets to collect money and gifts to help, to help out the needy. So what Jesus is saying is the trumpets of sound, there's a special need going on, but who's the first person down the street? It's the neighbour who's running down the street. He's the first one there. He's got a fistful of money and he's running down the street, flashing his hundreds of dollars of notes around saying, I got this, I got this. And he not only just goes straight to the synagogue or straight to the bucket, he might go around the corner a couple of times just to make sure everybody sees it. You'd be sticking your head out the window, go, oh, I've got to find some money to help, help them out down at the synagogue. But oh no, that guy's got it covered, he's flashing his money around. Isn't he good? Isn't he generous? He's the first one there, he's waving his money around to show us how, how generous he is. And you might even applaud him along the way. Good on that guy, because he's doing it. Here's what, what it means to be generous. But Jesus is saying, no, it's an act. He says, don't be like the hypocrites, he says, uh, hypocrites, you know what that word is in Greek? Just to show off my 15.5%. Uh, hypocrites, that's an easy one to remember. Hypocrites, it's actually the same word we get from hypocrites, hypocrites, it's the same word. But you know what the Greeks used that word for? Who would you describe as a hypocrites? As an actor on the stage in the theatre. The better the actor you are, the better hypocrite you are. Because you get it, you know, you put on a different character, you take on a different character, you might even put on a mask. You're a different person on the stage when you're acting. The better the actor, the bigger the applause. They award them, we even do it today. The better actor, we pay them lots of money, we give them lots of award ceremonies. We love good actors. But Jesus is saying, you know, that's all right for on the stage, but this is in real life. You're acting. This guy is putting on a mask. It's not all about... He's waving his money down the street, down the street going, hey, look how self-sacrificial I am, that I'm willing to give up my money to help this poor and needy. Saying, it's just an act. It's not about helping others. It's about helping himself. It's all about affirming his identity. Look at me. And it's a big show. Jesus says it's an act, all to justify himself. Don't be like that. So what Jesus is saying in the context... Don't not be generous. He's not bagging generosity at all. Be generous. But why are you being generous? Are you putting on show, are putting on display for the praise of men? <clears throat> he goes on to talk about prayer in verse 5. He says, don't be like those actors. Don't be like those hypocrites. They're performers when they get up to pray. Again, they do like we do now uh, at synagogue. 
Um, they would have their services. Somebody would come up and lead in public prayer and it's probably shared around that people are trying to outdo each other. It's a good place to perform up on the stage. And being near Jerusalem, lots of people would go in the, in the street corners and in public and pray in there. We even see it now in Jerusalem, praying against the, um, the wall um, that, that they pray against. You know, it's part of their culture that they're okay with. You do that around here, you probably get beaten up or arrested if you're praying out in the street corners. And I think it's probably one of the biggest fears for most of us is praying out in public. But for them, it was a very good way of igniting yourself. And actually, we like people who are able to speak in public well. You know, we appreciate things like that. So if somebody's going to lead us in prayer well, that's great. You know, they're engaging us with God and they're saying these words, they're expressing my words, how I'm feeling with God. And it's very inspiring to hear a good prayer and to pray along with it. But Jesus says, be careful of those guys because they're actors. It's a performance. They're trying to do it to impress you and to impress others, to, get, to be affirmed by others. Hey, that guy's a good prayer. I want to be like him. Or, you know, I want to listen to him. They might even have a following. Here's this street corner every afternoon. I'm going to go down and listen to him. It's starting to become more about them rather than the praise of men. Jesus is them with the praise of men rather than praise of God. Now we might, if Jesus was here today, I think he might change that a little bit. I think praying in public is not a strength of our, our culture, but maybe even to preachers. Is it about you or is it about God? The, the musos, is it about them or is it about praising God? It's the question. Are you acting? Are you putting on a performance? You're somebody you're not to get that gratification of look at me. I'm on the stage. Affirm me that I'm, I'm good. What about fasting he goes on with in verse 16? When you fast, he says. Jesus saying he's not against fasting. And fasting is that whole idea of depriving yourself of food by choice. It's not because you can't afford it or you're in poverty. It's choosing not to eat. To have that engagement with God... Kind of coming before God in humility, that you're depriving yourself, that you're looking to God, he's the supplier of all things, and I can come to him in prayer. Fasting always goes hand in hand with prayer. That people do that, and, and to be fasting, you're not using that time to prepare meals or clean up after meals. Uh, you're actually time to committed to God and thinking about God in that time. So he's not bagging fasting out, but he's saying, is your focus on God or are you a hypocrite again? Is it all an act? A performance. So you sit down at the lunchroom table. I'm imagining how this would work out. You sit down at the lunchroom table. One of your co-workers is just sort of sitting there and he's groaning. You pull out your sandwich and he's going, oh. And as you bite into your sandwich, you realise he hasn't brought any lunch. So you kind of, hey, do you want some of my lunch? Is that hungry? Oh, no, 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 I'm fasting. Fasting? Oh, no, I'm not having food. Oh, so how is the fasting going? Oh, it's awesome. It's so good. Oh. You know, the screw up their face. You know, and you kind of walk away going, man, that guy is so holy, so spiritual, that he's prepared to go through all that for God. Jesus says, it's not for God. It's an act. They're trying to get affirmation from you to you to say, man, they're holy. They're so good. Applaud them. Do that for them. Because that's all the thanks they're going to get. In fact, whether it's the guy running down the street waving his money around, whether it's the guy praying, uh, wanting the glory, or the guy fasting, making sure everybody knows about it, says, give them applaud. Well done. Good work. Because that's all the reward they're going to get. 
That's all the thanks they're going to get, all the recognition they're going to get. It doesn't go any further than that. It's short-term, it's temporary, and they've got what they deserved for a great performance. Now, we can say, oh, we're never going to be like that. Actually, I hate being up the front. I hate the, the attention. I don't, I'm, not want to, I'm not going to go down that path and fall into that trap. And we can almost pay it out to go, that is a bit silly to put on that sort of act and performance. But the reality is, I think for all of us, I'm putting myself out here, that we all like a bit of applause. We all like a bit of recognition. There's this guy, Placido Domingo. You might have heard of him if you've been around. He's an opera singer, was big in the 90s. He did a performance once that when the performance finished, uh, the applause, they usually get a standing ovation if they're a good opera singer got a standing ovation that went on and on. How long do you think is a good time to give a standing ovation? Know, 10 minutes? 20 minutes? Remember the performance finished? To stand and applaud them, well done. Good on you. You're the greatest. Half an hour? An hour? About 80 minutes, going on an hour and a half. They stood there and applauded him. This guy's the greatest. They roared him. They threw their flowers up on the stage at him. Just went on and on for 80 minutes. I'm not sure how long the concert was, but for 80 minutes, they're standing there applauding. They said they had to stop it at 101 curtain calls. That's when they, uh, the curtain drops, the show's finished, you stand and applause. The, the performer comes out again. Thank you, thank you. Um, does a bow, steps behind, the curtain drops again. They're still applauding. That's nice. We go out again. Uh, there's another curtain call. 101 curtain calls. They said by the end, as it got on and on, the curtain was dropped for longer than it come up, trying to give people the hint. Have you guys got homes to go to? Your taxis are waiting outside. Surely you've got to go, because we've got families to go home to. We want to go. But 101 curtain calls. And he said afterwards, and I saw this uh, quote from him, he says, it was great. It was a great experience. It was very thrilling. <laughs> Is there a smallest bit inside of you wondering, what would that have been like? 80 minutes of applause. You know, don't look at me, it's just me. <laughs> I hope it's not just me. Actually, I wonder if I invited one of you guys out here onto the stage and mentioned something about something good that you've done or you showed us something you've done and we all started applauding you, I bet you wouldn't walk off the stage going, I wish that didn't happen. You'd probably go, oh, thanks, thanks. You know, a little bit more, that'd be nice, keeps me going. That's the sort of applause Jesus is saying, it works for a while, It'll gratify you for a while. It'll feed that I'm okay. But it's actually that affirmation is something we hunger. It depends on where you go for it. So you could say, no, no, that's not me. I don't need the applause of men. I don't need the affirmation of being told what to do. But it's actually recognised as one of the five love languages. That love language of affirmation. You're okay. That you're acceptable. That you're loved. We need that sort of affirmation to know that our identity is okay. We don't have to put on the act or the performance to get it, but to know that we're okay. The problem is, or problem for me at least, is that when I look for affirmation, it's much easier to try and look for the affirmation of those people around me because it's more immediate, it's more gratifying for that initial injection. 
So, uh, you know, whether it's putting on a performance, putting on an act, but to get that gratification, to get that, uh, to, to feed uh, who I am, my identity, it's much easier to look, at, look to that from people around you rather than our Father God. Because sometimes God, he seems so far away that he doesn't see those things. But Jesus says here, God the Father can give you a much, much greater reward than any man can give you or any crowd can give you. The Father can fill your need for acceptance in the way that nobody can. He says, our Father God just longs for us to come to him. Forget about performing for others. How about we do it for God? This is what Jesus is asking. He's the audience that matters. He's the audience of one. He's what matters and can give us the reward, the encouragement that we need. Jesus uses the word reward a lot in here. I'm not sure whether you noticed that throughout the reading. He talks about you know, the reward of the, the applause of men or the reward from God that God's going to give you. And sometimes we get a little bit uncomfortable about what does God mean that, that we do things for this reward? You know, is that really having the right heart? And an interesting way of explaining it is, uh, like a soldier, what motivates us? Is it the reward or is it something else? So a soldier uh, signs up, he goes into battle. What's his motivation for fighting? What's his motivation for signing up, going into battle, to fight? He's doing it for his country. He's doing it for his friends and family or the oppressed. He's going to protect somebody. That's his motivation. Does he know that if, at the end of it he'll get a medal? as a reward, as recognition. I'm sure he knows that it's going to be there. But is his prime motivation to get the medal? I don't think so. It's like us. If our motivation is to get this reward from God, yeah, I don't think it's going to work. But if our motivation is to live in obedience to our Father God, that's our motivation with all I do, is I want to live in obedience to God because I'm one of his children. I know there's a reward there waiting for me, and that's great, but it's the extra bit on top. It's not what I'm working towards. I'm working towards living for my Father God. How does that look with the way, with what Jesus is talking about? When he talks about make your giving, just do it on the quiet. Do it on the quiet. Your Father knows. In all this language, it says your Father sees what you're doing. Your Father knows. And he's ready to applaud you. He's ready to give you a reward, a great reward. It's going to affirm who you are in your obedience to him. That's one of the reasons we give anonymously here uh, at church. So whether we do electronic giving, it's anonymous, just goes through the bank account, whether it's through the buckets. We even have the lights dimmed a bit during that song. That it's anonymous. One of the great encouragements to me was when we had the fundraising gala. Some people got together and says, look, we want to match dollar for dollar everything raised at the gala to help with the building project. But... We want to be anonymous. Don't, don't, we're not doing it for the glory. That's like great encouragement. It cost them like 45 grand. But they did it. God knows. God knows who they are and they did it. But here's a secret. If nobody knows, I'm not sure whether you've ever thought about this or it's the dark side of my heart. If nobody knows how much you give, it's easy to skimp. It's easy to miss that part, whether it's electronic banking or bucket. Nobody knows. So people can think, yeah, I'm one of those generous people. I'm one of those good people. Nobody's going to know. But what Jesus is saying, God knows. God knows. You're not doing it for the applaud of men. 
But are you doing it to please the Heavenly Father? Are you doing it for His reward? Because He sees, He watches, and He's waiting to reward you. He's waiting to bless you through that. But if you're skimping, it's, it's just saying, I'm not, I'm trying to fool God. In fact, I'm the actor. I'm the performer, the hypocrite. What about praying? Praying by yourself. God sees you. This is the emphasis on what Jesus is saying. God sees you in your quiet room of prayer. God hears you. God's not off way off in a distance. He's right beside you. And he knows and he's listening and he loves it when we come to him. So he's going to reward us, he says. A reward better than the praise of men. But here's another little secret. If we pray in secret, we go into our quiet rooms, nobody knows how much we pray. Whether it's a lot, whether it's a little if there's any prayer at all. They don't know. We can put on the performance that I am spiritual, I am righteous, and everybody thinks I'm a big prayer. But God knows. God sees, God listens, God knows. He knows when we're acting, he knows when we're being a hypocrite. And he's ready to take you in, to to reward you for your obedience. He's ready to bless you through that. But are we playing him for the fool? God doesn't really know. He's close, he's with us. Or our fasting, that we do it for God, we do it with a positive heart. It even talks about when you're fasting, make sure you do it while you look good. It talks about running oil through your hair and wash your face. I'm not sure whether today means like product in your hair and put a bit of makeup. Yeah, but look good. Don't let anybody know that you're fasting. But God knows. And he's the one who matters. He's the one who matters. Fasting, I should say, we don't talk about fasting a lot, mainly because the New Testament doesn't talk about fasting a lot. It's there. It's encouraged, good to do, prayer and fasting, but it's not one of those things that we hold tightly to, the the must-do of spiritual disciplines, mainly because the New Testament doesn't. But often for me, like I shared before, God seems too far away to notice. That he's so far away, does he even know what I'm going through? Does he even know my daily wrestles? Does he even know when I pray and what I pray for or what I'm giving to, does he even recognise that? Because often I don't see that gratification, I don't see that, I'm not gratified by that acknowledgement of it, that he's affirming, you're a good child of God, you're, you're trying to do your acts of righteousness, good on you. That sometimes it's hard to see that. It's not a game of whoever's the religious wins or whoever's the most spiritual wins. It becomes an act, a performance, Oh, look at them. I hold them up as one of the great ones. But what are you doing for God? Because he is close. He is near. And he's wanting us to come near to him to re- with those rewards. I find it interesting that in the middle of all this discussion, and of course in the, in the Sermon on the Mount, it's like a good constructed, constructed sermon, it's got very clear points. So we're going through a, like a point a week over six-week period But in the middle of all this, that sounds very clear, whether it's giving, praying and fasting, don't do it for men but do it for God, slap bang in the middle of it's the Lord's Prayer. It's like it's kind of like Jesus, I've got to fit this in somewhere, I'll just drop it in there. It's even more interesting when you look at the whole Sermon on the Mount from start to finish that we're doing over the six weeks, that... uh, the way they used to construct their talks in a very oral culture is they'd have like an intro and an end that kind of relate to each other and they'd have other points that relate to each other. The main point, the big idea that you need to get is in the middle of the talk. 
So you work towards the middle and you work your way out again. And the very middle of the Sermon on the Mount is the Lord's Prayer. Breaks up this point. It'd be easier just to preach through what I've preached on now without the Lord's Prayer in it. But the Lord's Prayer is there. So you kind of got to ask, why? Why did Jesus do that? Why did he put the Lord's Prayer right in the middle of this nice little unit? I think what's going on, and it's to do with the whole Sermon on the Mount, but particularly this point, is the whole thing about fakes. The whole thing about trying to fool other people, that you look religious, you look righteous, you look spiritual, that you're a good person. But in fact, it's not about that at all. It's about drawing near to the Father God. It's about coming near to Him. It's a relational thing. It's the audience of one thing, that I'm doing it for you, I'm not doing it for the crowds. And this is how it comes out. So uh, from verse 9 in the Lord's Prayer, uh, he's talking about it's very relational language. He's not saying this is how to pray. Here's word for word. If you say this prayer, it's like a business deal, a contract. If you pray these words, God's going to bless you. He's not saying how to pray. In fact, he just said that's how the pagans do it with their gods. They babble and carry on with meaningless words. But this is not what to pray, but this is how to pray. It's how to pray. Jayesh did a good job earlier in the service doing that. And I didn't even tell him that point. But this is how to pray. How do you talk to a God that's no longer out there, way off in a distance, that doesn't care about me, but he's actually close to me. He's watching and seeing everything I do, and he cares for what I do. How do you talk to a God like that? So here it goes. We won't, it's a whole sermon in itself to pull this apart, but just briefly, like Jayesh did, when he says, our Father in heaven, it's actually calling God our Father. It's a relational thing, a very close relational thing. Hallowed be your name, as holy be your name. You are perfect, Father God. Your kingdom come, you will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, kingdom language is a big part of this whole Sermon on the Mount. If you do a search, there's a lot of kingdom language. And it's this, this God's kingdom has come to us. The kingdom of heaven through Jesus Christ has come down to earth. And we're kind of like... We're in our earthly kingdom, the kingdom of me that likes me glorified. It's all about me and my identity. But God comes along and says, no, I'm your... I don't want to be tacky. I am your father. But, uh, we go, oh, yeah, I need to be in his kingdom. I need to be in his family. And I need to be uh, moving over to his kingdom. Even now, while I'm on earth, your kingdom comes. It's about your kingdom. It's about your family. And I want to be a part of that. Give us today our daily bread. If he is the God of the universe, which he is, we can trust him to supply our needs. Now, I'm very tempted to go my way and trust me, my decisions, my smartness, my money. I'm trust, tempted to trust all those things. But I'm going to trust you, Father God. I'm going to trust you to supply my needs. I'm living in your kingdom now, not mine. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. It's acknowledging, look, we are undeserving of this. We don't deserve to be in God's kingdom. It's only out of his grace that he sent Jesus to us, that Jesus is the one that lived out the perfect righteousness. Jesus was the one who took our sinfulness, our unrighteousness, our unworthiness, and nailed it to the cross when he went to the cross for that. He didn't do it just because he ran out of options. But he had to do it if we were going to come into the kingdom. Out of grace, not because we deserved it, 
but purely out of grace. And it's when we get this grace, when we realise how undeserving we are and God has done that to us, then we can start forgiving others that have hurt us. I've hurt God greatly and he's forgiven me. I can now forgive others when they hurt me. It's when we have trouble. I mean, forgiveness is hard, what people have done to us. But it's when we have trouble forgiving others, we need to be reminded of God's grace on us. When we understand how much that is, it's easier to forgive others. And that's what God calls us to do. So we're living in God's grace. That's where we want to be in his kingdom. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. See, he's our strength. If he's our Father God, he's in the kingdom, I can run to him and find my strength, my identity, my affirmation of who I am. It's very tempting for me to go, no, I can sort out this. I can live things my way because I'm going to get more gratification from other people around me with their praise and they're, they're affirming who I want to be. He said, no, no, that's Satan luring me back to my old kingdom. Go to God's kingdom. God's kingdom. He's going to protect me there. He's, going, he's the one that's going to affirm me for who I am. He's the one that loves me even when I think sometimes I don't care, I don't matter. He's the one that says, you're okay. He's the one that says, I want you to be one of my children. He's the one that affirms our identity. And it's this whole tension of these two kingdoms colliding. We want to be in God's kingdom, and God calls us to be in his kingdom, but we're still living in, on this earth with my sinful desires and passions, and I want to live my own way for my own glory. But when these kingdoms collide, it's how do we handle that? And we can go away from here saying, look, that's nice that God's a loving God and he's like that, but actually I'm going to plant my feet right in my own kingdom. I've got lots going on at the moment. I've got good prospects. I've got a good future here. But see, it's all about me. What do we go? No, actually, I need to be in God's kingdom. I need to be on this side. I need to draw near to my Father and live in his grace. Live dependent to him, dependent in his, his grace upon me. That he is my Father God. That he gives me, he makes me who I am. And he rewards me for that. If you want to know the difference that makes in people, because when these two kingdoms come together, they're so radically different. If you just look at the disciples and what happened to them, with these fishermen, fishermen that are taking after their dad and probably their dad's dad's, their family business, that's their identity. Jesus comes along, they drop everything because they want to follow Jesus. They want to be with him. Uh, even somebody like the Apostle Paul, Somebody who Jesus was probably talking about here. Very religious, very righteous in what he did. Looked very impressive. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. But yet when he saw Jesus and the kingdom that he was bringing in, he gave it all away, gave it all up. What was their initial rewards? What was the glory they received while they were here on earth? They got killed for it. They all got killed for their faith. Was God so far away that he wasn't watching? Was God saying, it's worth it, my kingdom, I've got a greater reward for you, reward for eternity. Sometimes to join God's kingdom, it's going to cost us greatly. And we have to think about that. We have to give up our old kingdom and live for him if we want true reward, to find true identity, to be the people that God's called us to be. I want to pray now that God helps us all in that journey, because I'm sure we're all at different stages in that. But God's, God is strong enough to do that. Let's pray. Dear Father, I do thank you for your love for us, that you would reach out to us, a people so consumed with our own business, our own kingdom, my wants, my needs, my gratification.
But Lord, you come to us in a way that's just described as grace and mercy. That Jesus takes the punishment we deserve but gives us righteousness that we don't deserve. That you come to us with the offer of a kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, with great reward when we come to you, we trust you, we live in obedience to you. Lord, that's the people we want to be. Well, thank you that you guarantee us that. You affirm our identity as your children and you accept us how we are. No acts, no games, no pretending, but you take us as we are through Jesus Christ. Lord, help us grow in that. Lord, I know there's all sorts of things that each of us are going to be wrestling with, different matters. But Lord, help us to give away those things we so desire here on earth and to long to be with you, to pray those prayers and to live in obedience to you and draw near to you. We pray this in your name for your glory. Amen.